Hello, if you haven't listened to part one of this podcast, please feel free to check it out. You are listening to part two. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the, and maybe watching the, Communication Solution uh, podcast here with our team. And our whole intention here is to help you improve the outcomes with the individuals, organizations, and communities that you serve. And to do that, our team is made up of what we call the MI guys here, where we got our director and leader, Casey Jackson. And Tammy Calais. Hello. Who is our innovative leader that has brought us here together. And then myself, a trainer named John, just to help host this and keep it going. I like that. That's good. Like a dog. Trainer named John. Trainer named John. Yes. Instead, we have other things to talk about, particularly something that I know I have a lot of questions about, which is motivational interviewing and manipulation. And it relates to some other podcasts we've done, like motivation and influence or ethical influence. And we go deep into that on a, on a longer podcast. We've talked a little bit recently about that on a uh, podcast with using MI and law enforcement. We just started to kind of hint at it. And then there's other things that we'll be talking about as well with MI sales and just where is that line with MI and manipulation and trying to get people, you know, some people call it tactical communication in the maybe law enforcement side or, or different people. And in sales, it can be, you know, uh, a whole different ball of wax. So I just want to start kind of this conversation around MI and manipulation and inherently isn't everything manipulation or how is it not manipulation to do MI? So I'm just going to kind of open the the floodgates here and see where you both want to take it. Well, before Casey talks, I just will say, I remember at one point joining Casey for a training and there was a gentleman who said he was in pre-contemplation for the training. And he was like, I don't need, think I need to join this training. You know, I've already done the training in motivational manipulation and I was like what (laughs) yes it's always fun and exciting to hear just how different people think about motivational reviewing well and you you have already covered so much but just in what you were talking about because I as you were talking I was thinking the same thing as you were talking it your intention is so important which is why I mean I, I literally think this was my mindset when we went into developing the mic up. It's like, what is the intention? I wanted for an individual, for a professional, if they were trying to use more motivational interviewing, to have their intentions more clear before they even sit down to have a conversation. If your intention is to give information, if your intention is to go over the results of some testing, if your intention is to get some psychosocial data, then your intention is not to affect behavior change in that moment in time. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It could be absolutely clinically indicated. So there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're intending to affect behavior change, if your intention is to express empathy and you're not sure if you're getting the outcomes you want to, then getting feedback about is my be- is my behavior professionally aligning with what my intention is? That, that's part of why we use the MICA for, for measuring that or using other coding tools to see Am I using motivational interviewing? Well, there's 16 different tools out there to find out if you're using some form of motivational interviewing. But what you're bringing up about the intention piece of it is just because we intend to be a good parent or to be a good partner doesn't mean we always are. And there's times we intend to be a good parent or a good partner. And if somebody shows a video of actually what we were doing, 
and we watched it, we would probably cringe. Yes. So <laughs> that's part of the feedback we're looking for is, is my behavior aligned with my values and goals? It's the same process. So there's nothing manipulative. It's literally objective information. If I record you, that is literally objective information. And if you have to, and you have to sit down and watch it on the screen, that's objective information. You may not like it, but it doesn't mean that I'm manipulating you because I recorded it. Well, and I'm going to add to that. There's, there's times too, where I think of, I've tried to communicate something and I've tried to focus solely on their goal, their mindset and all that, but you unintentionally somehow get back to your own yes. and, and it takes a lot of mindfulness yes. and self-awareness. And to your point, Casey, if someone recorded me, I'd probably create, get that awareness to go, oh my gosh, I was not focused on their goal in that moment. I was focused on mine, but you know, sometimes, you know, yeah, sometimes it happens. Well, and I, I just got to say, just my brain just starts to go off onto, I just keep thinking about all the stuff and doing on the motivation, and trauma-informed care. Yeah. And then with where the state of the world is right now. And then what John was talking about, about the pressure we have for outcomes, every one of those pressures increases stress on me. Increased stress on me makes me go into fight, flight, or freeze mode, which yeah. makes me less operating in my cortex and my executive functioning, which means to be able to step inside someone else's reality and not bring my own isness into that, to not bring my own ego into that is incredibly complex. And we fundamentally, we were not functionally designed, human beings were not functionally designed to be other focused most of the time. For survival, we had to be self-focused for self-preservation. We are literally hardwired for that. So to, so to spend, so when we get, I mean, this is the deepest of the deepest levels of the manipulation side of it. It's just hard to not be egocentric. It's hard not to be self-centered. So John, when you're bringing up things about outcomes, how do we not, how do we not get caught into that? Because it's very self-centered. It's self-preservation. I want to keep my job and I do want to help this person. And if they would just listen to me, then they would be better. That's so self-centered. It's not bad. It just can be counterproductive. And what we know is when we're other centered, then people feel heard and understood. When they feel heard and understood, they open up and they talk about their dilemma. Literally their dilemma is their ambivalence. We can choose to give oxygen or airtime to one side of their dilemma or the other. We can help them get clear what their values and goals are. And that is not a manipulative process. It is incredibly strategic, incredibly mindful, but it is incredibly person other centered. And that's just not the way we're designed. And it's sure as heck is not the way we are trained. Exactly. Well, and that, that taps into that there is influence going on, as we talked about in that one podcast, that you're influencing the person. But like you're saying, Casey, it's towards their version of their agenda, yes. you know, that, that I like to term happier, healthier, you know, that, that happier, healthier agenda they have for themselves. And so what I'm curious is, well, then how do you have conversations practically? Because we're going to this depth of humanity and being and that we are egocentric and that we do have moments like Tammy's bringing up where we might be conscious or unconscious that now I just slipped in my egocentrism and or my agenda. So I'm curious with very practical examples because I know you have a supervisor series where with the way of the world right now, they're feeling a lot of pressure and it's hard for them to engage people. And some of these people don't have that they're supervising or leading or managing, depending on the person, 
that they don't have ambivalence about their quote unquote <clears throat> lack of productivity possibly. I don't know. This is where I, I wanna kind of go there with some practical examples. You know, I can think of some healthcare examples where you know, maybe information is helpful for people. And is there a certain point where a line in the sand of showing up late constantly or um, that a certain thought about, you know, how to handle diabetes of just drinking water or something, the, there seems like there's a certain place to give information or some, you could say a line on the mountain as we talk about with Focus Mountain yeah. for not trying to have compliance, but at least giving some more informed choice. And so I'm wondering if you could talk about this when there are certain things that are happening that, you know, are just not maybe in service to them, but there are certain things on our job that we might be a certain thing for an outcome of a certain amount of employees getting in on time. That person keeps not getting in on time and, you know, they're not defensive about it. They're fine with it. How do I handle situations like this without manipulating, but still trying to use my MI when they seem to be fine about it? There, it breaks down to two basic concepts right there is do you want compliance or do you want behavior change? So that, that just that's for me, again, MI 101, do I want compliance or do I want behavior change? That's professional discernment. No one gets to dictate that. You choose as a professional, is this a compliance model? And if I take a compliance model, odds are research shows it's not going to establish long-term sustained behavior change. You're going to have to micromanage compliance models. M compliance models require micromanagement. If you want a behavior change model and change behavior, then you take more of an MI approach, a behavior change approach. So right out of the gate, you just decide, do I want behavior change or do I want compliance? And, and from there, if you want behavior change, then the person's, there's going to be some part of that person's behavior that is not lined up with their ultimate values and goals. Will we get so, this is, again, Casey Jackson's owning his bias around, I want to look deeper past target behavior into what are the underlying motives. Target behavior is not motives. Motivational is based on motive. What is their underlying motive? If they want to stay employed and get a paycheck and work where they're working, being five minutes late consistently may be in conflict with that. The five minutes late, the target behavior, they may not have conflict with. But what the results are of that behavior could cause conflict about their own basic values and goals, or it may not. But that's something that I can assess through communication about does that conflict, internal conflict exist or not. I, the, the thing that I think is that when you're talking about target behaviors and outcomes is people get so hyper obsessed on those things, this is where we feel pressured. We need to get them to stop using drugs. We need to work with them because they shouldn't be using drugs and we know they know it and they know they shouldn't be doing it. So let's focus on them and stop using drugs. Well, then we start getting attached to those outcomes instead of exploring what is this person's motive? Where, where's the behavior change gonna come from? So we wanna circumvent the process. And the other thing you brought up, John, is we do have knowledge base as professionals as peers, we have knowledge, we have experience, we have expertise. And you're saying, so when do we provide that? We provide it in the right dose at the right moment in time. An expert should know what is the right dose and what is the right point in time. Most experts wanna provide it when they wanna provide it. When they see a problem, then they wanna fix it. Research shows that doesn't work. It, the right dose is at the right time for the user's brain, for the patient's brain, for the client's brain. When is its brain ready to take the information, digest it, run with it, and capitalize on that experience or expertise of the professional? As a professional, we should be able to assess when that time is. Mm -hmm. 
So absolutely, we need to provide information and education. Absolutely, there's times we have to provide experience or expertise. Well, and I'll jump in for, for two things there, that one being that absolutely getting beyond the target behavior to the values is something I've anecdotally seen be powerful, not just for myself, but for a variety of people we've trained and how, you know, one way that I especially like to talk about is we all have competing motivations, that we all have priorities. And it's usually something that's a short-term gratification versus usually something that's a long-term gratification. And we tend to, you know, fall into when it's physical health related or well-being related, it might be we tend to fall into, you know, dessert or alcohol or these things that are fun and, and help make for a good time in the moment and or processed food that's made to just, you know, you can't eat just one. It's, it feels great in the moment or whatever it is that then it's hard though for that long-term sense of well-being that you know is there, but it feels so intangible, but you know it's there. And so there's this competing of short-term and long-term satisfaction seemingly of motives with what you're talking about because what you were alluding to uh, with the work example is that at some point their stability and security or financial freedom that they get from the job could be impacted from being five minutes late and so that's that's what I'm especially curious you know to talk about it's like well at what point then do you at what point is it manipulation if technically they're not going to get fired, but you keep, you know, bringing it up. But at a certain point, it sounds like what you're getting at, there's a point where they could be fired or let go, depending on the words you want to use, that you were kind of getting at there. So, so if I'm trying to not take a compliance model and I'm trying to use this in my professional life, you know, it seems like there's a line in the sand or whatever you want to call that, a line on the mountain where you would talk about their values as it relates to keeping the job or not keeping the job. That's what it seems like you were alluding to with that example. And then I also have questions about using it in personal life when there isn't a clear line in the sand like that. And how do you use that with values in those situations? But I just want to start with that one with the work example. At what point do you, you know, be that expert and bring in a line in the sand and at what point is that, is that now compliance? Is that still MI or is it manipulation at that point? What would you say when you do have to talk about maybe performance and keeping a job or not keeping a job or something like that? Well, again, like I said, it's going to go back to what is your mindset? What's your intention when you're going in? Is your intention for compliance or is your intention for behavior change? I mean, because even an example just provided, like, where are you coming from? Well, it depends on what my intention is. If I want them to do it and show up on time, and I'm going to make them do that or threaten them um, with corrective action, that's going to be a compliance model. And it's not wrong. It's just a different model. The, the thing that I think of is going up to, and they're not, and they're feeling okay with being five minutes late conversation. I'm going to go back to their deeper value. Is that the way they define integrity in the workplace for themselves? Is that the way they define integrity as a professional? That's somebody that always shows up five minutes late because I can't make them have different values. But what I can do, that would be manipulation. What I can do is I can try to hold the mirror up so when they look at it in a very undefended way and they see a picture of themselves with everybody shows up on time and they're the one who always shows in five to 10 minutes late, is that who they see themselves as? Some people may say, I'm totally fine with that. Mm -hmm. That's who I am. That's who I am. And I don't yeah. think- 
nature, and I don't, I've, I feel perfectly fine. There's nothing about that that causes any distress within me whatsoever. My distress is that people keep pointing it out. But if I'm literally, if I'm watching this film of everybody showing up five minutes early, and I'm the one person that walks in five minutes late every single day, and I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what the issue is here. There are people that genuinely see that there's no issue with that. That is, and what what we try to manipulate them is, is to make them feel guilty for it. That's manipulation. It's not wrong, but it's manipulation. You're trying to make them feel other than how they feel. You want them to feel how you want them to feel about it. That's manipulation. So this is why it's so much more complex than people think it is. It's not just reflective listening. It's how do I understand how this person's brain is functioning, but I have to get an accurate assessment of how their brain is functioning before I can intervene. It's the same as a medical model. I want to make sure where the break is in the bone. I don't want to just go, oh, the arm looks broken. Let's put it in a cast. Like we need to look a little bit more complex. And how are we going to get the bone to grow together? How is that, you know, going to, the, it's going to fuse together? Have we got it manipulated in a way that it's going to fuse together in a healthier, stronger way? Like there's so much more to it than just putting a cast on it. So mm -hmm. it's the same thing in terms of what is your ultimate intention in the situation? If it's affecting morale, maybe their behavior, when they look at that, it's like, yeah, you feel perfectly comfortable with it. And, and not feeling part of the team or knowing that that brings team morale down, that doesn't weigh on you either. And it's like, God, no, I love being part of a team. I wouldn't want to affect morale, but it, you know, and so then it's like, yeah. So you're trying to find a way if you knew that as you watch this video, that the whole crowd moves in and then five to 10 minutes later, you come in and that actually brings the team down. When they look at that video, it's like, God, I don't want to be the one that brings the team down. I honestly don't care about the five minutes, but I definitely don't want to bring the team down. So if that means I come in five minutes later with a group and it brings team morale up, that's who I want to be. The only way to do that is to show them a video of it. We can use that through reflective statements. I mean, that's that's what we're doing. And the more effective we are at that, you get to assess, does ambivalence exist? If they say, I don't care if team morale goes down, I am not responsible for their morale. Then they don't have ambivalence about that. Then as a professional, as, an, as a supervisor or manager, I go, is that the way I want my team to function? So it's not a compliance model, it's a choice model. Is this the way I want my team to function? It's like, you know what? You deserve to have a job where you can come in five minutes late if you want to. And you deserve to have a job where if it brings team morale down, that that, that doesn't bother you. It's just not here. That's not our culture. Ooh, that, that to me, at a certain point, there's a line. And that's what I'm curious for you to talk about. There is a line being made and you're the one making it. So this starts to get into like, especially personal life and things as well, be it with parenting or otherwise, that now there's a line being made about what is or is not the family culture, the relationship culture, or in this case, the work team culture. And since you're making that decision, is that at some point, some form of compliance? I, I still look at that as choice even though there's a line that you is being made outside the person's self. Well, it's their choice of whether or not they want to be part of that culture. So I see what you're saying in terms of I'm defining the nature of the narrative around that culture. Yes. What they have full choice in is do they want to participate in that culture or not participate in that culture? That is their choice. 
And do they want to make adjustments in their own life to be part of that culture? That is still 100% a choice model. It can come across as putting a line in the sand. I completely get where you're defining that from. But when I'm having the MI conversation, I'm looking through their worldview. It's like, do I want to be part of this culture where there's going to be more and more peer pressure on me as they get more disgusted with my behavior? Is there going to be more pressure on me from my supervisor about, hey, try to get in here five minutes, you know, try to get here on time? Is that the way I want to exist? Is that what I want to exist within? So what I would prefer in an MI model is that they start to define what that line is for them. Not that me as a supervisor defines that line for them, but for them to start getting clear about what line they want to be in. And, and just, I would rather be able to come into work five minutes and say, nobody pissed at me. That's what I'd prefer. Mm-hmm. And nobody writing me about it and the supervisor not doing it. That's what I would prefer. So I would, I would rather instead of, when you're talking about somebody else drawing the line, I wish the individual themselves, what I'm trying to orchestrate is them drawing the definition of how they want to function. And what lines do they want to have? So, and I'm going to, for the, for as long as possible, that's the mode of operation I'm going to try to stay into from an MI perspective. Is it wrong if I slip out of that? No, it's not wrong. It's informed choice. You're slipping into a different model or you're choosing a different model. But what I ultimately think is as long as possible, I want to empower this individual because one of the first intentions I think of in motivational interviewing in MICA is I want to support their autonomy and their freedom to choose. And the freedom to choose does not mean they get to define their life. They don't get to define the workplace. The workplace defines the workplace. They have the freedom to choose how they operate within those definitions. So obviously there's going to be lines because there needs to be lines for an organization to operate. There needs to be lines for me to be able to survive as an individual. I have to have lines Mm -hmm. for myself to just survive. You know, I need to drink water. I need to breathe. I need there's certain things I need to do. Those are very clear lines. So, so the, the thought of how they're imposed or superimposed, I keep going back to the ideal model for me in motivational learning is supporting that autonomy and that, that freedom to choose. And the freedom to choose does not negate consequence. Just because you have the freedom to choose doesn't mean you don't get consequences mm-hmm. or benefits. But I still have the freedom to choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and part of this discussion that's, that's helpful for me to clarify is just the likelihoods and, and what I'm interpreting and, and throwing in my own stuff here on this. And, and I'm curious if you have thoughts or reactions or, Tammy, any of your experiences. It's that when something's more objectively, the narrative is more objectively defined, such as the policy right. is that everyone does this and you're not the one making up that quote unquote line. It's like a good referee or something. There's consistency there and that this is there and you can't change it. I I use an example of the speed limit. It's not that the speed limit exists. It's how you talk about the speed limit, right? Are you doing it externally or internally for that person? It's existing regardless for right now, unless that person has a desire to go and (laughs) lobby and try to change it at some level, right? For now, the idea is that that is an objectively narrated line in the sand, as it were. How you approach it can be more MI or more compliance, as you've talked about. I love it, that it sounds like, go ahead. Jamie. I just love that analogy. Well, yeah. and what, what I want to riff off of with that too, even with that analogy is when you look at the speed limit, there's data behind the speed limit in terms of fuel economy and fatality in driving, with, especially if you go back to the drive 55, stay alive, drive 55. There's a lot of data around the drive 55. We don't like it because we don't like the line of 55. 
But then if I see Tammy's like, I just don't like driving 55. Like I, I like to go 60, 65. And so what I can say is, yeah, that line you don't want to apply to you. Or I can step back further and say, yeah, even though that could create more fatalities on the road, you don't care if you create more fatalities on the road if everybody did that. That doesn't bother you. It's like, well, no, I don't want to create more fatalities. I just want to drive what I want to drive. And I said, yeah, there's our conflict. Do I want to be a responsible driver that actually creates, keeps people alive, keeps myself and my family alive, or do I want to do what I want to do? And you get to choose that. Mm-hmm. So it's not about the 55 because the 55 is a very clear defined line. That's very, like you said, John, that's why I love that example. But then with any policy within an organization, there is context around why that policy exists or that deliverable or that expectation of that performance exists. It's not yes. just the out of the thin air pulled out 55 miles an hour and painted on a sign and stuck it in the ground or 16 stuck yeah. in the ground. Yeah. There's a lot of context to that. And that organizational context, a lot of individual workers that are hired don't understand context for policy. They're handed a policy and procedure manual, and in their first week of training, they're expected to read it when they're put in a room by themselves in a cubicle. Yeah. They have no idea what the context of it is. They know what the rule is. They'll try to follow the rule, but when we don't understand why the rule exists, it's like, well, today I'm going to go 60, 65. I'm running late. Yeah. Yeah. So there's on policy within organizations. And there's, there's two things that go through my head here because there's a second thought to what I was going to, to get into with this as well. But the first thought to, to give uh, credence to what you were talking about is that when there's a line in the sand or there's some sort of information to make it more neutral, there's information that has outcomes to follow that information or not follow that information that keeps it still pretty neutral, that the more that information has, as best we can determine, objective outcomes associated with it, the more we can feel justified in exploring that in certain ways to find their values, such as, you know, you were using an overstated reflection there, Casey, about safety basically is the value. And I might ask a question about safety. Either way, we're, we're both guiding towards trying to figure out what is this, in, you know, you used integrity before at work. What is this person's internal value system related in this case to the 55 miles an hour or whatever it is we're talking about? And then because we got to wrap up soon, uh, this might be a whole separate podcast to get into particularly in personal life. There seems to be that it's easier to justify that. But then what if a policy is made that really doesn't have a lie? It's kind of an experimental policy that was thought up by one of the leaders that seems like it'll work, but it's still a policy we still can talk about it, but it doesn't have quite the justification of the 55 or the health information of the research, right? So then it's still a line in the sand, but then it gets even closer to our inner circle to doing what you were just doing earlier, which is I'm narrating where the line in the sand is, and I'm the one that's putting subjectively on the table this or this is not for me, the type of relationship I want to have, parenting culture or family culture, in the case you gave, the team culture. And it seems like the more we give narration to what that line in the sand, that we got to be crystal clear for ourselves. How consistent are we being with that if, if we do it? And then also, how much is that really turning it into what I want over what they want? And just that conversation kind of harps back to whose agenda is it really then? And that's why I just want to maybe 
foreshadow a future deeper conversation or whatever we want to do around that because there is a there there that I think is interesting to explore that creeps into what resonated for Tammy which is oh I accidentally brought in my own stuff there oh dang it because in relationships and things where it's more personal there is a place to to have water and drink and eat accordingly you have to have healthy boundaries right and that there are healthy boundaries for informed choice and yet then on a team there's also healthy boundaries so just that conversation about that I'd be curious to dive deeper into but for today I think the the speed limit and so all those examples you gave were <laughs> made so much sense but before we wrap up I wanted to see if there's any other thoughts Casey you had for MI manipulation or Tammy or am I in manipulation or any other thoughts or reactions? Well, for me, I'm, I'm just going to circle back to kind of the beginning or, or midway through, I don't know. But, you know, to me, to summarize it, it has to do with your intention and your mindfulness. So am I motivational interviewing is not inherently a manipulative tool, but I suppose people could use it manipulatively, but if you focus on your intention and what you are trying to accomplish with it and what Casey said, whether it's your agenda or theirs, that kind of says a lot about how you use it. Well, and, and I think that's the thing that I clarify even further, Tammy. I think it's helpful when you say that is if you're using it to manipulate, it doesn't score as motivational interview. There you go. So it just, you can be using some of the skills or the strategy. You can use any communication to manipulate, but if we record that conversation of you manipulating using what you think is MI, it literally doesn't score as MI. It doesn't taste like grandma's cookie. So it, it can be a cookie, but it may feel like somebody dumped a salt shaker in it. So it looks like a chocolate chip cookie, but it just sure doesn't taste like motivational interviewing. And yeah. that, that's one way we can distinguish it, which is why the measurement of it to find out is it manipulative or not is pretty that's, important. That's a good point. Yeah. I will add just to end the story from the very beginning, that gentleman at one of your classes that said, oh, motivational manipulation, you know, I don't need to learn this. He sat through a two-day class and by the end, he was like, whoa, this training is so different than any other training I've done. This is not manipulation. And his mind was just blown. So hopefully... If you're listening, you've gone through one of our classes or you will be taking one of our classes and you can experience that for yourself. <laughs> Great. Yeah, and if you've had MI training and or want to know if you might be unconsciously or consciously falling into certain roadblocks or manipulation, that's what we have the MICA coaching and coding feedback for as well with reports. Uh, so. Yes. With that in mind, if you're interested in that, uh, you can of course go to ifisc.com and check us out there. We also have for sending questions, clarifications, or just examples you want to hear us talk about or go deeper into any scenarios we want to just invite. And so to do that, it would be casey at ifisc.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y, casey at ifisc.com. And we hope to hear from you there just to make this as value added for you and really hope to hear from you so that this is not just us uh, riffing into the ether and really making it as customized as possible. So Definitely. thank you for listening. Any other thoughts before we go? Yep. Great. This is the All communication right. solution and we truly hope that this motivational interviewing changes your world. So. All right, with that, see you next time. <laughs> yeah. Thanks.